What's up and welcome to another episode of Cinepub, a podcast about movies and booze. I am your host Luke and tonight, like always, though it's been a while since the last episode, I'm going to open by talking a little bit about what I've been watching, break off into a chat about a beer or cocktail I've chosen to drink for the featured topic, and end with a longer discussion of the movie for this episode, which tonight is Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan mindbender that's playing in theaters right now. It's been a long while since the last episode, so to get things started, let's dig into the massive pile of what I've been watching since the last time I recorded. And to make things a little more interesting, if you feel like it, I've got a little drinking game to properly set you up for later. You can take two drinks for every movie I'm about to talk about and see if you're still standing by the end. Here we go. First up, and after many, many years, I decided to rewatch a certain Kevin Bacon horror flick that, to put it mildly, hasn't aged particularly well, especially in the current social climate. The movie is Hollow Man, which may as well be Paul Verhoeven's take on The Invisible Man. And now, referring back to my earlier point with how poorly this is aged, Hollow Man is incredibly rapey, and of course, rape has never been and shouldn't be an acceptable part of culture or behavior in movies now, then, or ever. So, of course, I'm not implying that for the time, Hollow Man's incredibly rapey vibes were just shrugged off as boys being boys' behavior. No, I think because we watch these things in a vacuum of time, there's things you notice at a certain age and others you don't. I wasn't necessarily a naive pup that didn't understand what rape was, but going back now, scene by scene, I found myself disgusted with Bacon's scientist character, Sebastian Kane, at every turn. The unsubtle and smug arrogance of Kane, even without the leering creep vibe, paints him as a fundamentally unlikable character throughout, and you can't wait to see someone obliterate him. Now, all that being said, there are actually some aspects of this I still find very enjoyable, but most of them circle around the special effects, which have obviously aged, yet they still hold up well. And let's face it, Bacon, despite how creepy he is, succeeds at delivering an effective villain. Still, going back now, pubescent me would likely be looked at with shame by current me, for not seeing so much of the problematic elements at play. On to something newer I was able to catch up with, Dave Franco's directorial and writing debut, The Rental, which focuses on a group of friends celebrating some professional success by renting an exuberant and secluded lake house only to find their relationships, friendships pushed to the breaking point by an outside presence. I don't want to paint this as some sort of supernatural ghost story or anything, so let me say right out of the gate that this is not that movie. I would peg this as more of a home invasion slasher hybrid that doesn't really reveal itself as such until well into the movie. Most of the first two acts focus on character development while throwing in quite a bit of misdirection to keep the audience from feeling like they know exactly what's going to happen next. Now, eventually... It becomes a bit clunky and predictable in the last act, but Dave Franco's direction is really solid here, as is his writing, which for the most part feels very fresh and exciting. 
but once all the cards were on the table, one can't help but feel like they were a bit bluffed and hoping for a little bit more razzle-dazzle. Additionally, the cast is great, led by Dan Stevens and Allison Brie, but given the talent involved, when all is said and done, I still had a feeling of, so that's it? Which might sound a bit more damning than would be my intent. The rental is available to rent right now on VOD. It may actually still be playing in select drive-ins, but I, I don't have that information right in front of me. I'm going to try to do a quick lightning round on some of these other ones, just so that we can try to get through them a little bit quicker. And if you're still playing along with that drinking game, uh, we were get ready. I caught Random Acts of Violence, the new feature from Jay Baruchel, which is a mean little slasher with something to say about artistic accountability when it comes to violence and entertainment. Not exactly a subtle or fully effective message, but the movie's worth checking out, and it should be available right now on Shudder. Next up, The Pale Door, a horror western from Aaron Kuntz, which is kind of like From Dusk Till Dawn, but instead of vampires in Mexico, you've got witches in the Old West. This one's kind of a mixed bag for me. I really like the concept and some of the visual genre elements, but overall, it didn't fully come together for me. And this one is also available right now on VOD. Next up, Project Power, the Netflix action flick starring Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, available right now. This one is actually, with the talent involved, it's actually anchored by a young up-and-coming actress by the name of Dominique Fishback who gives a really great performance. And overall, this one is just some dumb fun, easy to get drawn into, but nothing that's going to blow your socks off. Next up, The Vast of Night, which is an old-fashioned sci-fi flick th told through a fictional Twilight Zone-esque show about a town in the 50s as a radio jockey and telephone operator hear a mysterious radio frequency and begin to suspect a UFO is hovering over their small town very effective and creepy i highly recommend this one it is available right now on vod but also for uh, amazon prime subscribers it's available to watch on amazon prime video next up the old guard on netflix starring Charlize theron meh next up host a new screen life horror film available right now on Shutter from Rob Savage and shot all in of 12 weeks while we've been on lockdown due to COVID-19. This is actually a lot of fun, lots of effective jolts, and it clocks in just under an hour, so it is well worth your time. Winding down here, next up is Spree, a new, I guess you can call it screen life thriller, dark comedy starring Joe Keery from Stranger Things. This is about a kid desperate for a following on social media to the point he goes on a rideshare killing spree. And also the rideshare app is called Spree. See what they did there? This is also weirdly a lot of fun in as much fun as it can, can be to awkwardly watch a dude drive people around, kill them with a smile on his face, uh, while also begging other people to watch his content and follow him. There's some solid surprises along the way, uh, so check this out if you think that intrigues you. It is also available right now on VOD. Last couple, uh, The Wretched, 
I can't escape the thought that I've mentioned this before, but to be safe, this one is a neat little horror flick, kind of like Fright Night, but instead of a vampire, you've got a witch that wears people's skin and makes them forget about their kids after she steals and eats them while casting an amnesia spell on the town that she's camped out in. I kind of love this movie. I've watched it multiple times now. I highly recommend it. It's available right now on Hulu. And lastly, The Pool, which is a single location thriller out of Thailand about a guy trapped in an empty pool with a crocodile and no means of escape. It's really ridiculous, intermittently very tense, but trigger warning for those squeamish of animal deaths, there's one in this that really soured me on the experience as a whole. This one is also on Shudder right now if that piques your interest. Phew! All right. Taking a little breather after all of that, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare a drink to tie into this discussion, at least not as much time as I wanted, so I just kind of grabbed a beer out of my fridge uh, and did some backwards gymnastics to fill it in here. Uh, it was more apt after I thought about it for a while than I thought, and that is, that's a beer from Surly Brewing Company, and it is called Fall to Pieces. Surly is going through a little bit of a meltdown recently with a lot of their fans. If you've been following them over the last week or so, they announced that their hospitality workers were planning to unionize uh, and were in talks with them until only a few days later announced that they were shutting down their highly popular beer hall due to a rapid decline in revenue since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. This has naturally caused lots of public outcry um, from local and global beer drinkers to in their criticizing the brewery of union busting uh, and fans obviously have not been quiet on social media about this. Outside of all of that, uh, it doesn't particularly tie perfectly into the movie, uh, but it in some ways it does narratively, but specifically depending on how you feel, Nolan's internal logic of the premise holds up. Anyway, if you've ever had a Mosaic IPA, you can likely picture pretty accurately what you're going to get out of this, as Fall to Pieces is a Mosaic Hopped IPA, which is full of bright fruit characteristics from papaya, pineapple, mango, and even sometimes blueberry. But also, depending on, on the brewery and its usage of the hops, what I get out of this outside of the dank, straightforward IPA qualities is unripe fruit. Lots of IPAs sometimes tend to dip into overripe, verging on rotten fruit, but this hits the fruits on the cusp of being right where it needs to be, giving this a very crisp and easy drinking vibe. Perfect as we transition from summer to fall, and the perfect segue from talking about beer to the brain-breaking properties of Christopher Nolan's Tenet.
That was actually just a little bit from the teaser trailer uh, for Tenet that was first released a while back. Uh, no dialogue or anything, so probably not the best one to pick. But uh, realistically, I don't know how much people would be able to pick from the audio of a Christopher Nolan movie quite like this uh, without being able to see it. Uh, and I certainly did not intend for this to be the first episode following the Inception show, but everything happens for a reason, I guess. And before I jump into trying to dissect the intricacies of Nolan's universe here, I wanted to briefly discuss what it was like heading back to the theater after almost seven months. Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man was the last movie I saw in theaters, and I know even now there's a lot of people weighing rather or not to risk heading back out to the theater as they slowly reopen and new stuff is getting released. I, too, wrestled with my feelings of going back out, and I attended a screening at uh, a local Alamo Draft House. Uh, the ticketing process automatically placed two empty seats on either side of uh, the seat that I purchased. It did not do the same in front or behind those seats, but you did have the choice to be selective in buying your seats, and you could have picked uh, you know, seats in front or behind the empty seats that somebody else had purchased. Uh, in order to achieve any type of social distancing. The website also employed a pre-order process for food or drinks, uh, urging you to purchase everything you would want you would want during the movie beforehand, which I did not take advantage of. Uh, it being a two and a half hour movie, I generally try to not torture my bladder beforehand as I hate getting up in the middle of a movie to go to the bathroom and I've put myself through many, many painful situations by employing this process. Alamo's policy is that you must wear a mask at all times unless you're eating or drinking, and so I wore my mask for the entirety of the screening. However, the contradiction I noticed, unless I misunderstood the pre-order process, is that when I sat down, I was told I didn't pre-order anything, which I confirmed, uh, but I was still asked if I wanted to order something. I declined, uh, but was told if I wanted to wanted something to fill out the cards provided. Those familiar familiar with uh, Alamo's process will recognize that this is fairly standard process when attending a movie there. Essentially, when essentially the ordering process was billed to me more as minimal to reduce the amount of servers roaming the aisles, etc. However, once I was there, it seemed like business is normal in that regard from what i could tell everyone else was respectful of the mask rule and every other process put into place to keep social distancing was followed all in all i don't plan on making regular trips to the theater for the foreseeable future but in terms of this experience though there were contradictions to what i perceived the process to be i was satisfied with my ability to enjoy the film in relative safely due to the fact that everyone in the space was following the safety protocols. I don't foresee this always being the case, hence why I don't plan on making regular trips. So I can only suggest that people do what they are, what they feel they are comfortable with. And now we'll get on to tenant here, but where to even start? The details of the plot for tenant have been pretty secretive up until now. 
and it'll be interesting to see for those who hold off on seeing this until some form of physical release are expecting quite what this movie ends up being. And frankly, because I feel this won't be as widely seen as it would otherwise have been under a normal wide release, I'm going to avoid getting too deep into big plot details. Uh, not even going to probably get into a spoiler section. Just I don't even know if my brain can handle it right now. What we're essentially dealing with is a spy or espionage flick through the Nolan lens. And by that, I mean what would normally be a James Bond-esque straightforward action thriller with a couple of twists has an extra layer of complexity just to keep the audience guessing. Throughout the movie, Nolan even speaks in cinematic terms. John David Washington leads the way and is known only as the protagonist and is a CIA spy who, after being captured and tortured for information, after a botched mission, makes the choice to kill himself rather than talk. However, it merely gives his captors the impression that he was dead while he's then scooped up and recruited to work his way through to the source of an international threat that has survival of the entire world implications. Early on in the opening action sequence, we see alarming visuals of a bullet collision reversing as though it were never there. Armed with only the word tenet to find his way through a tangled web of secrets, the protagonist learns of technology developed in the future that allows material and people to move backwards through time, thus having temporal impacts on linear moving life forms and vice versa. The path leads to a billionaire weapons dealer, Andre Sator, played by a supremely over-the-top Kenneth Branagh, armed with a thick Russian accent. To get Sator, the, protag the protagonist goes through uh, Sator's wife, Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki, to try and get close to the film's bona fide Bond villain and uncover and stop whatever his endgame is. Unmentioned in the main plot there, but a major player along the way is Robert Pattinson's character. He plays Neil, a British intelligent agent recruited along the way by the protagonist as he's working his way up the arms dealer food chain. Washington, though cool in his own right and owning a lot of the physicality of his role, is not nearly as charismatic and suave as Pattinson who steals the entire movie. If you missed the twisty nature on display in the rundown of the plot, which only really scratches the surface of the film as a whole, what we're essentially witnessing throughout is all at once a time travel slash time loop movie. In the future, there's technology that's being weaponized to send bullets and people backwards through time for bad people to take advantage and achieve their evil agendas. The process is also referred to as inversion, and the people, things we see along the way are inverted. They're moving backwards through linear time, and thus the visual nature of this seems a bit off-putting at first. However, once Nolan applies these tricks to several action set pieces, it is visually astounding to watch. The mental gymnastics required to make this all make sense are almost not worth going through, and you just need to let yourself sit there and just let it happen. Nolan is such an expert at making things cinematic that otherwise might not be that it's nothing short of spectacular to watch unfold. It's only when you start to trying to tear apart the logic, 
continuity and physics of it all that things start to unravel regardless of how confidently Nolan presents it. Other problematic aspects that you might run into are that it becomes hard to understand characters who are wearing masks. It may be too real nowadays to see people running around drawing, uh, donning oxygen masks throughout Tenet, uh, though it's just another Nolanism in this universe that he's able to make just another intricate and cool detail to this universe. And because his movies are so narratively complex and high premise, Nolan always introduces ways to explain what's happening. And Tenet is no different as film. The film never actually stops to tell you what's going on, but he's got several walk and talk moments where people are explaining what's happening or about to happen as you're still moving through an action sequence or take it and you're taking in the visual cues. So while your head is guaranteed to hurt trying to do the work on your own, I assure you the dialogue that's there to help you out is only going to give you a different kind of headache. Plus, the dialogue and pacing of this thing moves at such a breakneck speed that it's dizzying trying to keep up from scene to scene. Whether or not you're showing up for the complex nature of the sci-fi element at play, what you're really going to be there for is the spectacular and dynamic set pieces. Without spoiling, spoiling the enjoyment of them, they have a whole new layer of enjoyment here simply because, as I said, we're dealing with linear storytelling, but it's also a time travel, time loop situation. So once the action ramps up, the surprises along the way are immensely satisfying, especially if you just let it happen and don't try to get tied up in the logistics. Not quite as emotionally resonant as some of his other movies, particularly since I'm coming off a discussion of Inception, I found Inception to be much more powerful emotionally than I did in Tenet. But the emotional core of the film revolves around Elizabeth Debicki, who it, her tortured marriage with Branagh's character is the central, fo central focus emotionally. In the middle, there's their son, though, and though she's outward at how she despises Seder, uh, refuses, and he refuses to let her go. Wrapped up in such a high-premise uh, plot, you can see a lot of the same human themes playing out as Nolan is wont to do in his films with the choices we make and the rippling effect that they have on our lives and those around us. I don't feel them resonating as deeply here, but that is just me after all. As with all things Nolan, even when I recognize something that shouldn't work, he has a knack of pulling it off in a way that makes me not care if it doesn't entirely work. The action set pieces and balls to try to pull something this high concept on what I assume is a massive budget is nothing short of masterful. It's not even close to cracking my favorite films of his, and it will remain to be seen if on multiple viewings I change my mind, but my gut tells me I'm safe in saying the needle won't move that much. Is it still a ton of fun? Absolutely, and I can't imagine seeing anything quite like it in some time. Unfortunately, I do see, I do think seeing it on the big screen is a big piece of the visual appreciation here, as the scope of the action scenes and how Nolan films them is often quite staggering. On home video, of course, there will be appreciation for it, especially the bigger your screen, and 
unfortunately, we live in a weird time at the time of this recording, and venturing out into the theater is not an option for everyone, and waiting until there's a safer avenue for viewing is a choice I absolutely respect. As much as the desire is there to discuss and try to extract some of the secrets this movie has in store, until I'm able to get a couple more viewings under my belt, it would likely just sound like the ramblings of a madman. And instead, I think that's just going to carry us to the end of this episode. As always, I want to thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback for the show, any comments, questions, concerns, please email me at cinepubpod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and I believe Facebook with the username CinePubPod, where I generally try to hint at what I will be covering next. Though I did pull an audible this time, given how long it was taking me to get the Palm Springs episode set up. But with any luck, that will be what's coming up next. But again, thank you for listening and have a great night. Cheers. Cheers.